Okay, we are in First uh, Corinthians chapter four. And beginning in verse 14, he says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you, my dear, as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Some of you have become uh, arrogant as though I'm not going to come to you. But I will come to you quite soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find... um, uh, Let's see. I don't like this version. I will not only know their words. I'm going to have to do this from memory here. But also their power. For the uh, kingdom of God is not a matter of word but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a a scourge or in love and with a gentle spirit? I have hunted this in my my home and this church building for my Bible and I have which version is it? Sweet. I will trade you straight across. telescope for this. Okay. It's really handy. There's like ten pages in this entire Bible, but unfortunately. So, uh, Paul gets to his intent here. Um, what What is his goal? What is his general tone in this section? Okay. It's a big warning. Yeah. I don't think he wants to discourage them, right? Um, but he did want to warn them. Um, and so uh, they've been compromising some things, I guess, over, over if you think back over the the first several chapters. And we're going to begin here in chapter 5 with the specifics, the long list of specific things that they've been compromising. Uh, And it eventually leads to loss of faith. That will happen. Uh, So, it's interesting. What is his position in regards to them, how does he regard himself? As fathers. He says, you, you've got a lot of guardians. You have a lot of teachers, and you have a lot of people that are, you know, a part of your... I mean, there are very, in, you know, in your education, you, there's probably teachers that stand out to you, right? as very influential and you like them and they re- you really learned a lot from them but but none of them in high school would you have probably regarded as parents almost right? you, that's kind of unheard of 
and, and I think that's kind of ideas like I, I was really close to you. We we had kind of a bond that was deeper than te- simply as teachers. So to to illustrate that, what has he done? What has he done to show his his kindness? Specifically mentioned here. Okay. How does Timothy go? Do you suppose? Timothy's younger, so he's not going to be. Whatever he's bringing is going to be a softer. Right. Attack. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what I think that's exactly his goal. I think by age you have a almost a. I mean, depending on how young, you know. Uh, you get too young, you can get arrogance because of a lack of experience. But if, if you're right in that, right in a particular age group, there's a natural deference to age. It's like, okay, I'm going to treat these men are older. I'm going to be a little bit more cautious, right? I also think about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. I mean, mm-hmm. he wrote several letters to Timothy specifically, and um, very much kind of his protege yeah. way. Like yeah. Someone he not only trusts implicitly, but also somebody who he has great faith in that he will be able to do a good job. Right. He's not just sending anyone. He's right. sending like the best he's got. Yeah. And in and, and his letters to Timothy, you kind of mentioned that, and I didn't even think about this connection to this statement. He's, he talks to Timothy and he says, you're my son in the faith. So, so Timothy kind of goes to them not as I mean, he is representing Paul, but he's representing Paul as, listen, I've been kind of where you are in relationship to Paul. And he can represent Paul from their side uh, without, without compromising the gospel uh, and hoping that that's going to be the thing that kind of pulls them back in without a lot of uh, turbulence, I guess. Um, so, so Paul's correction, he says, now, interesting, he says... Um, I don't want to know their their speech, their words. What what does that mean? I don't want to know their speech. Their excuses. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's one. To know here is to like to test. I think he's he's saying or or to examine all those kind of words. I think he said, I'm not coming to debate. <laughs> I'm coming to lay down the law. Right? Um, I'm, I'm, we're not going to have arguments about what you've been teaching. Uh, there's times where we need to have discussions about things. Yeah? Yeah, so it, it feels like this is, this is where you're at. Yep. And this is the end goal. Right. You can either get to the end goal the hard way, yeah. or you can kind of start on that way yourselves, and yeah. it'll be a little bit easier whenever I come. Yeah. Like, you got to pick. I think that's what right. you're talking about. Like, should I come with a whip and whip you to where you should be, or should I come with love and, right. you know, keep nudging you on your way? Yeah. These words are so... Like a hundred and eighty out of phase with modern culture. Right. Think of the phrases that we everybody's thoughts are valid. Uh uh-uh. uh. I was like, I ain't coming to talk. I know what the deal is. 
and uh, the things you guys are saying have no place. So we're not we're not going to explore your feelings and there's there's times where there there's issues that are like okay we we need to figure this out but then there's you know, go to first corinthians 15 they got together we need to figure something out that's a controversial subject but there's we need to figure something out and so there's a back and forth but there are times where we say listen there's no debate here we're not having a discussion on the matter. He says, I'm coming to know their power. What does that mean then? Influential. Okay, it's their influence. I'm coming to know exactly what degree of influence this group has in here. Why? What is Paul's mindset? I mean, he's coming from a distance. Right? There's only so much control he has through letters. So when he comes, what's what's what is he thinking has to be done. Maybe he wants to know who is saying this, okay. who is doing this, so that he can be prepared when he gets there okay. to tackle that, that group. Okay, so, so now he's still a guy with, as far as we know, physical you know, infirmities. and What does he have to figure out? I mean, so he has to have contingency plans. What are the contingency plans? Because he's like, I've got to know exactly what the power level is of this. What is their sphere of influence? How bad is it? He needs to know if they're willing to be corrected. Okay. Or if they're going to have to be cut out. Okay. So, 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 so there's, there's various things we can, we can correct the problem. That's the ideal situation. We can cut them out. And then what's the next step? If, depending on how much influence they have, they may take others with them. Mm-hmm. we may have to leave. If their influence is they've got 90% of this, you're not going to correct that problem. Right? He did that in Corinth earlier. He took a group. It's like, okay, we've got this many people. We're going to have to leave. The group is too much. We're going to have to leave this school. We're going to have to go over here. We're going to have to start with a small core. He's like, there is a, you have to have contingency plans because you don't know how bad it is. And that's why I say, I'm coming not to argue. I'm just coming to figure out how bad it is. Um, so, um, so with that, um, we get into chapter 5. Um, and, and we begin... this series of chapters in which he's going to correct some issues. You could say that these are larger issues, and within each one there's a a series of things that are out of place. So let's let's pick off here the first. Really, to get the whole context, we would need to read chapters 5 through 7, but we're not going to do that. So um, uh, we might just kind of reference other verses as we go. Verse 1, it says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the type that is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and you've not mourned, so that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I, indeed, I am absent in the body, but present in the spirit, and I've already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. 
So in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We're going to stop there. Who is sinning? Who is sinning? Sounds like somebody in the church. Okay. What's the sin? Okay. What? Let, let's be specific here. It's a very uncomfortable topic for Sunday morning. I realize. That. Either the mother or the mother in law. Okay. Likely the, likely a stepmother or mother in law or something, something not physically related, right? Because there's a word for mother, and there's a, they would have likely used that. So, um, culture is a little bit different, but not that much different. Still. Is still extremely wrong. So, so who specifically is sinning? Sounds like one of the church leaders. Uh, possibly a church. Well, it kind of seems like a younger guy. Kind of. I mean, if, if, anyway. Just he's not a gentile. Okay. So, so there's two people sitting here, aren't there? This is interesting because who is told to be delivered to Satan? The man. The man. What about her? She may not be coming. Oh, she may not actually be in the church. Right? Because we get down later in the chapter and he says, listen, we don't judge the people that are outside the church. That's not, our, that's not what we do. Right? All this stuff goes together. In fact, chapter 6, I think, is going to play into... Chapter 5, some of the things that we're going to look at. We typically think, because of our culture, uh, that, you know, in our, we, we typically marry people around the same age. But if he's gotten remarried, she may be significantly younger. That is quite common. You get older, older men in that culture. Trade in for a younger, you know. It's like that's just the way they did it. So, so she might be more the son's age, and and whatever connection they have. Was this something that Gentiles wouldn't talk about? They don't even discuss it. This is so horrible. They wouldn't even tolerate it. Yeah. This to me is Paul using hyperbole because I know from history the things that they did. <laughs> this doesn't seem like too far of a stretch for, for pagan culture. Especially this pagan culture. But it might be on the fringes. It, it might not be popular amongst the general populace. It, it, it certainly happened. I think that when you're, like, maybe... I've, I've heard it said when um, among the, the druggies and the alcoholics, the, the alcoholics can be kind of judgmental of the druggies because, well, we're not that bad. Right. Oh, sure, sure. There's always there's always, you, there's always a way for you to make yourself feel like you're not 
Yeah, you you are always the baseline for what's good. You're, you're like, okay, this is acceptable. Everybody below me is they're horrible people. Um, that's kind of human tendency. If Paul has heard, because now Paul hasn't claimed divine knowledge of this, right? How does Paul hear it? It is reported. If Paul has heard it, who else knows about it? Hmm? Okay, the whole congregation. If the whole congregation knows about it, who else knows about it? The city, the town, her husband. This dude's father knows about it. He's apparently not done. I don't know if the guy, the father might not be in the church. Okay, there's another. I suppose he could be dead and this is the opportunity and maybe that's still considered taboo. Okay, so um, that, that's an option I haven't even thought of. I want to look at why this might be... Because, because something in this, they've rationalized as acceptable. Right? How do you rationalize that as something we don't really want to talk about? Yeah. I want to look at chapter 6 for just a second. Because about the very next topic, or related topic, in chapter 6, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and then make them members of a prostitute? That's the next topic. She's not in the church. It is quite possible she works where? In the temple up the street. And that's a culturally acceptable thing. You can see where, I'm not saying this is, I mean, this is just, I'm just trying to work out a plausible theory of how a church lets this particular thing go. <clears throat> but that's a, that's a cultural thing. Uh, she's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird, but I mean, she does work in the Aphrodite temple. And just something that's been a part of this culture for, for forever, you, yeah, we can rationalize it away. Are we ever guilty of rationalizing things away because of cultural? Maybe not to this degree. Do we ever do that? It could be a gradual thing, too, where it's like baby steps that slowly compromised. Yeah, 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 sure. It kind of depends on the power of the person that's setting, too. Mm. Yeah, if, if they're very influential, if they're popular, you yeah, there's a ton of details we have no idea about. Regardless of the details, regardless of how close our theories may be, the fact is we do similar things. Right? How many of us will sit down and watch a family-friendly romance? Oh, yeah, all the time. Do you ever go, those two people are kissing, and I know they're married to somebody else in real life? Yeah, but it's just a movie. 
It's not real life, is it? They're just acting. Look at the divorce rate in Hollywood and see if it's just acting. There's a reason why they don't stay together. Pretty soon, you're like, weren't they in the same movie together? Now they're married. <coughs> like that happens all the time. Why? Because it's real life. But we go, eh? We just dismiss it. It's cultural. And we we do that over and over again. We it's it's something so easy to. That's not real life. Uh, that's just the Aphrodite temple. That's not really real life. Well, <clears throat> within this problem, there's a more, maybe easier to talk about problem. What, there's an underlying problem here. Beyond beyond that act, beyond this man, what what's another problem here? Okay. This is a dereliction of duty here. That is a significant problem. It hasn't been taken care of. So Paul's like, I've got to make decisions for you from a different country. <laughs> That's not really the way things work. You have, you're, you're derelict in your, your duties. Now, <clears throat> why did, how did he find out about this? Do you suppose? How did Paul find out? Okay, someone's upset about it. Did what? Reported how? Letter or went on a trip. Okay, now remember, he's heard about it. Everybody else there has heard about it. That's just, that's reality. That's how gossip works. You have people who are concerned about it, and that's wonderful. And they didn't do anything about it. Well, we'll hope Paul fixes it. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that your conscience is working enough to go tell Paul. But why didn't you sit there and deal with it? I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. Concentration is just difficult. Mm-hmm. You see it even, even in the world today. You see it with, you know, in the workplace and school and things like that. They don't want to, I guess, get in trouble for... Or, you know, actually sit down and confront someone and saying, you are wrong. Because mm-hmm. people don't yeah. take that very well. <laughs> right. Especially if they've rationalized it away or, or, you know, don't want to change or, or they're happy about what <clears throat> They don't like being told they're wrong. Just in general, people don't like that. So, confrontation is just inherently difficult as well. Mm-hmm. But this is to the point where when we know this is really, really wrong, Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's going to make going over to people's houses a little awkward or whatever, you know. 
<laughs> That's a really awkward conversation to have. So. Okay, that, that, there's a chance that, that happened. That's true. Maybe they maybe they did sort of try to talk. Maybe someone did. Like, okay, hey, we tried. Paul, come clean up the mess. Right? We do that. We you, you see sometimes a particularly nasty dude. You're like, oh, maybe if I just walk away. You'd have to think somebody talked to somebody in authority there, and they didn't do anything. And the authority didn't do it. That and that is the great problem here. But there's two problems. I mean, there's a lot of problems. But there's two, two, dividing this particular one into two. The leadership is, the, is a problem, but also the general populace of the church is a problem as well. God never said it's only the leader's job to take care of something or, or to bring attention to something. Why is our country trillions of dollars in debt? And, and, and just make more with no batting of eyelashes. When we throw around three trillion, six trillion, one trillion, like, oh, well, you know, like, no problem. Why, how, how do we get to this point where we do that? Okay. Okay, so you have a leadership problem, but where does the leadership problem come? Okay, we're on the right path. What's the condition of the people that voted for them? We have a populace where the average debt of a household, not including homes or not including mortgages or car payments, the average credit card debt of, a, of an American home is like $10,000. That's how we, we elect people from this mindset. So, so you have people that don't care because you have people that don't care. Right? That, that's what, if everyone was upset about debt, just the concept of debt, we wouldn't elect people who you know, don't care about debt. That's, just, that's how it works. So, so in, in, in Corinth, the same idea is true. You have leaders who aren't going to deal with the problem because you have... Uh, congregation that doesn't care about dealing with problems. And that's the, that's the reality. You have a, a minority, like you say, of people who kind of are concerned enough to mention it to Paul. Maybe they talk to somebody. And that's why Paul's saying, I've got to come and figure out how bad this problem is and how many people I have to work with. So... <clears throat> So Paul is explaining the solution. We move on in chapter 5. Well, let's, let's, before we move on, what is the solution? Okay. Let's dig into that a little bit. Specifically, he says to do what? Okay, that's a weird phrase. What does it mean? You don't like drop him off. Here, Satan, he's yours now. So, what does that mean? 
Okay. All right. So he's kicked out of the assembly. So if you're not in the assembly, where are you? You're disconnected from the church, and you are in whose custody? That statement has a lot of ramifications. What is God saying about the assembly? Pretty doggone important. If you're forsaking the assembly, you are in Satan's territory. Later on, just a couple of verses later, it says, don't even eat mm-hmm. with people like that. Don't, yeah. even, don't even do something as common as eating. Yeah, we're, we're going to get down to yeah. some of that solutions, the, the other solutions. We're, we're just kind of fixing the immediate problem, and we're, then there's going to be all these other things. Yes. Right. Yeah. You've got to make it stick. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to make it feel. This is yet another throwback to the Old Testament, how the Old Testament and Testament are so connected, because it's the same idea with the idols, that anything like the Astro Bowls and all that stuff, mm-hmm. that infiltrating the camp is <coughs> Yep. Any of that poisoning. Yeah. You, you, if you allow it in, and, and so, um, so we're gonna, that's also all that comes in that that later second. He's dealing with all that. Uh, so, so that's the first thing he says. He says, "Deliver him to Satan for what?" So the sinful nature can be destroyed. Okay, that's interesting. Anybody else have a different? Translation. Okay, that, that's I think the hope here. He says, "For the destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit can be saved in the day of Christ." What are we talking about? I mean, possibly talking about. I don't know. What does that mean? The destruction of the flesh. No, no, because he's, he's, he's no, because the guy's going to come back to church in Second Corinthians. I'm kind of getting the prodigal son vibe from it. How yeah. Let him go out there and yeah. all that. Then he turned around and repented and came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that does happen. In fact, Paul has to write a letter to him and say, "Okay, listen, he's, he's sorry. You can let him back in now." <laughs> they kind of took it really seriously, which was good. I think you're on the right path. I, to me, there's one of two options that he's talking about. It's either something God is going to do to him, or it's something God is allowing to happen to him physically. He talks about the destruction of the flesh. So it's either he's talking about God's like, I'm going to take some. I mean, God has done that in, in, in the early part of, of the history of the church. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, th- there, are, there are points where God says, I'm 
going to make an example. This is an extreme thing happening. I'm going to take an extreme measure to be an example to other people. Think of Job. Right. God said, do to him what you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing is that this might just be a physical natural consequence. Right. Yeah, I think consequences are actually a big part because there's no I guess enforcement of consequences. Right. Um, whenever that happens, I mean, even with kids in our houses, yeah. there's no consequences to anything. There's no right. We look at, I think we kind of separate ourselves from, from then in time because it's so long ago, but it's not likely that sexually transmitted diseases are a new thing, right? And, and the stuff floating around that temple up the street is probably pretty nasty. Like, let him have it. If that's what he wants, right? That's the entire. That, that's that's the that's the captivity of Babylon. You want gods? Here, go to a land full of them. See if you like it. Get your fill. You're gonna probably suffer some physical consequences, but in the end, it might bring you back. He comes back, but there is no guarantee that. He was physically cured of anything. God doesn't always do that. I repented. You've got to live with the repercussions. We knew a girl. She became a Christian. We were over in Ukraine. She died of AIDS. That's that's life. She made some decisions. She lived a lifestyle. Thank goodness she became a Christian. But God doesn't always take away the, the sad ending. Physically, the sad ending, and and I, I think that's what he's talking about. He says, he says, he talks about the destruction of flesh, but so that the important thing, so that the that the spirit can be saved in the uh, in the day of Christ, in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's the important part. It's also a good reminder that you know he, how bad he makes this. Pagans don't even do this. You know, yeah. Like the you're talking about. And he's still going back that so that the spirit can be saved. This yeah. person's not completely far gone. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's not yeah. completely over. They're not done. Don't kick him out forever. There's still a chance for this person to be saved, but you need to do the hard thing to do it. Because mm-hmm. you, you need to not you know, be concerned with you know, whatever they're concerned with. Like You need to do what's best for this person and get them right. Mm-hmm. Verse 6 through the end, I don't, we're not going to have time to, to get through it all. But, um, he says, well, why don't we, why don't we take 6 through 8, and we'll, we'll see if we can get through that. It says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For, indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, the the word 
malice there makes us think of some personality disputes. Right? Malice. It's just actually the word bad or badness. Right? So it's not necessarily an interpersonal type of badness. It just means badness. Um, it would include that. Um, and he goes on, and, and there's a longer list of things that, that he kind of includes in all that. And even that list is abbreviated, I'm sure. So um, so we have a secondary purpose. So the primary purpose of this punishment was for the person's soul. What's the second purpose? All right. So we've got this influence. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. People's, whether they're going to do this particular thing or something else, people are going to start to recognize the leadership doesn't deal with problems. So will you let so-and-so get away with it? Why can't I get away with it, right? That's the way people think. It's the way the kids think, for sure. So we've got to purge out that leaven. Um, so uh, the church has already been polluted. But we've got to take care of the problem. We've got to do some cleaning up. So how does the problem start? Just a little bit of compromise. They just start to engage the problem. Now he says, I'm not asking you not to talk to people because how are you going to convert people unless you talk to them, right? So I'm not saying, but this idea of, listen, don't eat with them, don't, you can't, um, you've got to cut stuff off when you see, listen, things are going this direction. Uh, we don't have that in our home. We don't. We don't entertain this. We don't. So why use communion as a metaphor? Okay. Okay. So first of all, communion is kind of the center or involves the center of of everything we do because it's all around the death and resurrection of Christ. What are the important factors of communion that relate to this whole topic? Broad. Not spe not the specific sin, but... Okay. This is, this is vital. This goes back to what we talked about. Delivering from Satan. Being expelled from the church. It, he's cutting them off from communion. I'm, I'm not going to... We're not going to get Catholic and, it, you know, I, the, the, it turns to Jesus' blood and body, literally, and all that. I'm not, we're not going there. But, but it is important. And it's not just important as a, as a substance or a, a thing that, that happens on Sunday morning, but it's important within the relationship of 
the group, people together. There's something that is, it, it, God did not design. God did not have in mind when up there in the upper room, Jesus was thinking, you know what we really need is personalized communion kits. Are we take into the woods and be one with Jesus. That's, that was not his intent. Communion was a together thing. Unity. Back then, too, they did more together than what we even do now. Yeah. That was their whole community. They went there daily. Yes. Together. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, they were daily in the temple. That's right. And communion was it was a part of a meal. I mean, they, they're like, okay, the sermon's over, and now we're getting to the main course, right? And it was a part of a, a fellowship, what we would call a fellowship dinner. And as a fellow, imagine having a fellowship dinner every week. Oh, the planning. Uh, and, and, and then as the, as the focal point of that was communion. A different, kind of a different atmosphere. But it is really important that that one element. Um, and we don't have a recipe, do we? We don't have a recipe for communion. But we know one thing. It was unleavened bread. That, that one aspect is important. Why? Mm-hmm. But you may be a new batch without yeast. Mm-hmm. You really are. Yeah. So, like, when I, I, in the past, I had made sourdough. Mm-hmm. And if you have a bad culture, it will affect the next batch. It sure. It will affect the batch after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it won't, you, you have to throw it out. Yeah. And so I, I just, it kind of a, a hit me, like, you have to start over. Yeah. Well, he's no, no. You you started, but how you finished is he doesn't say get better yeast. No, it's like no yeast because it's all leaven. Throw it all out, you know. And, and that's the picture of unleavened bread, and that, that's why that one picture is important of the recipe. I don't know if it has salt or not salt or what, but olive oil or butter, I don't care. But he says, the yeast is important. That's a symbol. We don't, have, we don't allow impurities in. We can't tolerate it. We can't overlook it and, and turn the other way from it. It will affect the whole thing eventually. Um, and, and so uh, it does affect, this, this concept affects adultery and horrific stuff going on, but, but we're going to get on into the end of the chapter um, next week, and we'll see that it affects a lot more uh, than just that. So.